And so we're going to talk about the cross today. In fact, the, the title of my sermon today is called The Relevance of the Cross. And I want to start by asking you, every one of you a question today. I want you to think about it. Is the, has the cross lost its relevance in your life? Do you, do you think about the cross of Jesus Christ and what it has done for you? If you are saved, a lot of us have been saved for what feels like 100 years. Like, I feel like I've been saved my whole life. I feel like I came out of the womb saved. And I know darn well I didn't. I didn't really give my heart and my, real, my full life to Jesus until I was about 17. And so I know I had a time where I wasn't saved, but I feel like I've been saved so long. It's so easy to take the cross of Jesus for granted. It's so easy to just think of it as second nature. You know, we, we worship and we sing about it and we can get emotional at church. We can get excited about it. But does it, does it play any relevance in your life throughout the, re, throughout the week? Is there, do you feel like it is something that you're always mindful of, that you're always thinking about what the cross of Christ is? Because the cross is a symbol of death. But when it comes to the, to the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the cross is also a symbol of life. It is a symbol of life for each and every one of us because without the cross, we would all be dead in our sins. Amen? Because the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So, so somebody had to come and die a death, a, a, a sinner's death for us as a sacrifice for, for the rest of us to be able to have that eternal life, to, have the, to be raised to life, which is what we're going to be talking about next week. And so the cross is obviously incredibly relevant to us, but it's just, it's way too easy for us to get too accustomed to it and too used to it and too where it just becomes kind of second nature and we don't think much about it but the cross has not lost any relevance today at all the cross is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago amen Amen. the cross has not lost any power that's right the cross is just as powerful as it was back then it's just as relevant it's just it has the same miracle working power today as it did 2,000 years ago when Jesus was hanging on it and we need to remember that and, and understand that the cross is relevant and work to make it relevant in our lives and to keep it relevant in our lives. Uh, I want to share a verse with you out of Isaiah 53 in verses 10 and 11. It says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. So we know that it was God's will to crush Jesus. And, you know, we can easily think of the cross. When we think of the cross, it's easy to think of it as a, as a, as a brutal thing and as a, a bad thing and a bad day. If, uh, you know, probably the best movie that ever came out that depicts the crucifixion is The Passion of Christ that came out a while back. And uh, if you have not seen it, you are not saved. Just want everybody to know that, okay? Uh, every Christian ever has seen it. No, I'm just kidding. But, but most of you have probably seen it. it. It depicts the crucifixion very well. It's very gruesome. It's, uh, it's uh, very graphic. And, and I myself find myself watching that, that movie and just cringing and thinking, how can they do that to Jesus? Like, I, I think to myself, man, if I was there, I would, have, uh, I would have harnessed some of the WWF skills I learned when I was a kid. And I would have taken them out on those Roman soldiers and I would have given them a DDT or jumped off the top rope and given them a pile driver or something to stop this because this is brutal. And, uh, but what we see in Isaiah 53 is that it was God's will to do this. It was his will to crush his son. And it even says that it gave him pleasure. 
Now, that, God's not some sadomasochist or some masochist that likes to see people suffer. But it gave him pleasure because he knew what the end product was. Amen? And so, and I even think it's very significant that the disciples abandoned Jesus. You know, it says that when, uh, when they arrested Jesus in the garden, that all his disciples fled and abandoned him. And I think it's very significant that they did that because if they had been there when Jesus was getting beat and scourged and the crown was being put on his head and they were spitting on him, I think there's a good chance the disciples might have rose up and said, we're not going to take this. I know who this guy is. You, you guys don't know what you're doing. And they might have started a revolt right there. And I think it's significant that they fled because, you know, Peter obviously showed even when they went to arrest him, Peter cut off the high, servant's priest, or the, the high priest's servant's ear and Jesus had to heal it. And so we see that they were willing to fight. So it was good that they fled because as, as devastating as it is for us to watch a movie like that and to see what happened to Jesus, it had to happen. Because we needed salvation. We needed a sacrifice for our sins. And so the cross is what represents that. The cross is what brings us life. It is what, it is what takes us from being sinners condemned to hell to being children of God and on our way to heaven and in relationship with Jesus. So the cross is incredibly relevant. And I just want to encourage you today. There's, you know, during this Easter season, it, it's exciting for me to talk about or to, to, to reminisce or to think about the, the crucifixion and the cross. I, every year I try to read through that at least a couple of times during Easter because it just, it just stirs me up. You know, it's good for us to be stirred up and to remember what Jesus went through because, you know, it's just too easy for me and for us, those of us that have been saved for a while to just not really think about the cross much and really think about what Jesus did. We're thankful for it, but eh, we don't give it a lot of our time and attention because there's too many other things that are pining for our time and attention. So I'd love to go through it, but during, during today, during my message, I want to go through three, three things, three uh, things that we learn from the cross, that the cross shows us to remind us of, of what the cross is and how it is relevant in our lives, okay? And the first thing is passion, okay? The cross of Christ is a symbol of passion. Now, sometimes passion is considered, a, it has a negative connotation. Even throughout the word of God, sometimes it has a negative connotation. Uh, you know, you, you think about a crime of passion where somebody just couldn't control themselves. They were, whatever caused them to do whatever they did, it was a crime of passion, you know. But passion is actually a really good thing. And, and the, the cross is a symbol of Jesus's passion for us. And the, the best description I've ever heard of passion that I've ever, uh, the best definition is the passion is what you are willing to suffer for. Passion is what you are willing to suffer for. So whatever you are willing to suffer for, that is what you're passionate about. And see, Jesus was willing to suffer for us. And so we know that we were, or we are his passion. It's so easy to forget that Jesus was a man. You know, he was the God child. He was God, the man. And he was also, uh, he was also a man, the God, right? And so, but we know that he went through pain. He felt pain. The Bible says he wept. He wept over Lazarus when he was in the tomb. We know he had emotion. He felt pain. And so, but it's easy for us to forget that. And so Jesus didn't necessarily want to go through all of this pain that he was about to go through on the cross. But in Hebrews 12, verse two, the, the writer of Hebrews says that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame and is seated at the right hand of the father. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. So it doesn't say that he joyfully went to the cross and said, woohoo, here I go. I'm going to be tortured for a, a few hours. It was because of the joy that was set before him. The joy was you and me. 
That's why he was able to endure the cross. He was passionate about us. And so he was able to endure what he was about to go through because of his passion and his love for us. Have you ever, like, if you think about what you're passionate about and things that you really think you want, uh, it it becomes very evident very very quickly what you really care about when you try to do something that you may not be passionate about. Uh, one, a great example that most of us can relate to is dieting. You know, how many of you have started a diet on a Monday morning and by Monday dinner, you were chowing down on some chicken wings, you know, that's happened to all of us because even though we, we really want to look good and we want to feel good and we want to take care of ourselves, the time comes when we're hungry, when we're hungry and our stomach's rumbling and the thought of eating a bunch of lettuce over some chicken wings isn't even an option. And so we realize what we're really passionate about is enjoying what we eat rather than looking good and feeling good, right? And so dieting is one of those things that shows us what, we're, what our passions really are if, if you struggle with that. You know, some people start diets every Monday morning. I, I, know, I know people that do that. Every Monday they started a new diet and it lasts till about Monday afternoon or Tuesday if they're, on, if they're really passionate. Um, but our pa- what we're passionate about determines what we do. But, you know, I shared not too long ago when I, from this pulpit uh, a revelation the Lord gave me about you know, when, when he said in the Beatitudes, he said to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And uh, the Lord showed me that we actually have the ability to steer our hunger, to steer our passion, that we don't have to be subject to what we're passionate about. Because if we just allow our flesh to, to lead us to the things that we're passionate about, every one of us would be passionate about greasy food or, or at least good food and, uh, and money and power and fame and, and the things that gratify the flesh because that's what the flesh wants. The flesh and the spirit are two different things. It's not the same thing. And so we cannot be driven by our flesh to go after the things we want. We can actually cultivate the passions that we have. We can cultivate those passions. We can cause the passions in our life to grow in, in, in the good way, in the way that God would want them to, or we can cause them to grow in the way that the flesh would want them to, or that the enemy would want them to. And even Jesus had to cultivate his passion. I want to read a verse for you here. In uh, Luke 22, verses 39 to 44, it says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now that last verse there, that shows passion. It says, being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood that fell to the ground. See, Jesus did not necessarily want to die. I know I just mentioned that a minute ago, but he was, he was struggling with this. And, and for me, that actually encourages me to know that, okay, the, the God child, the, the person that he knew that his call in life was to come and do this, the fact that he was struggling with this that last night because he knew what he was about to go through and had to pray through is really encouraging to me. Because it tells me that for me to struggle with the things that I know God wants for my life, the things that I want to be passionate about, that's okay. The important thing is that we pray through. And then we get with God and we say, okay, I'm not going to allow my personal desires to to run me. I'm going to make my passions line up with whatever God's passion is for me. And I just wonder for us, like, what are we passionate about? What are you passionate about today? 
If we're honest with ourselves, you know, are you, do you feel like you're more passionate about money or success, maybe family, career, um, hobbies, sports for a lot of the men. We're passionate about sports. Some guys, you can't be around them for more than 30 seconds and they're talking about their favorite sports team, you know, and that's okay. But are we as passionate about God as we are about those things? And have we lost our passion for what he's done for us? You know, I was, uh, I got to spend some time with an old friend of mine a couple weeks ago. I hadn't seen him in probably a year. And, uh, but I know what he's gone through over the last few years. He's actually gone through a divorce uh, his wife uh, was cheating on him and they tried to work it out, but she just couldn't stay faithful and they ended up going through divorce. It actually got really ugly and nasty and, and it, was a, it was a bad time for him and for both of them. And, and uh, I've tried to stay in touch with him to some degree and just encourage him, but haven't really seen him. Well, uh, I, I finally saw him a couple weeks ago and I knew that he'd got remarried in the last six months. And I sat down with him and I was talking to him and we talked, we sat there for an hour and our meeting was actually supposed to be about work and business things and, and uh we sat there for an hour and he did not stop talking about his wife for a whole hour. I sat there for an hour and I bet I didn't say three words. All I did was just, I mean, if we'd been on the phone, I could have set the phone down, walked away, done my thing for a while and come back and he would have known it. That's how excited he was to talk about his wife. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, I just can't believe that I have this woman that wants to be with me after she knows my life. She knows what I've gone through. She's a wonderful woman. She's, she's straight laced and clean and, and she wants to be with me and she loves me and she's so good to me and I cannot believe it. And he said, I'm just so amazed at how the Lord has brought this person to me and has helped me during this time. And then he said, he made a comment. He said, I can't go out in public without talking about her. He said, if I go to a restaurant, my waiter, waitress, they're gonna hear about her. I want to tell him like, listen, this is my wife. She's awesome. She's everything. She's great. He said, if he goes to the target, the cashier is going to hear about her if she's with him. He said, I just can't go out and not talk about her. And I was sitting there listening to him talk. And I was thinking, man, if, if me, if we as Christians were that passionate about Jesus, you know, if we couldn't go somewhere without talking about him, if, if everybody that we ran into, if we were just ready always ready to have that conversation to tell people about what Jesus has done in our heart and what he's done for us. How great would that be to have that passion that's there, that's just brewing all the time and ready that, that when we have that opportunity, we take it. You know, I'm not talking about being that annoying person that goes out and tells everybody about Jesus and tells them they're going to hell. And uh, if you don't turn, you'll burn, things like that. I'm talking about just sharing what Jesus has done in your heart. You know, and being excited about the love that God has put in us. Like he has changed us from the inside out. My, my revelation of the cross has changed my life forever. And I can go weeks and months sometimes without telling people about it, unless I'm standing on a stage talking to people that I already know, already know about it, you know? But am I, am I willing and ready and excited to share my story with somebody that I come in contact with that I don't necessarily know or that may reject me or may reject my story? Um, I, I, and I just, that, that challenges me today, church. And I hope it challenges you that, that our, we should be as passionate about what Jesus has done in our life as we are about our favorite football team or about our career or about our hobbies or the other things that are going on in our life. It's nothing, nothing wrong with having those things, but man, let us, let's ask God to help us to be passionate. I try to spend time in the morning when I pray to say, God, help me to be, to have your heart for the people that I run into today. You know, help me to be passionate about the lost, as passionate as you were about me. Help me to be passionate about them and to be ready and willing and able to share my story when the opportunity arises. If that door opens, Lord, I'm going to walk through it. And I'm going to tell people about how excited I am about my God. And that's something that he would want from all of us. Amen? Amen.
So the, uh, the, next, the next thing that the, the cross reminds us of is God's forgiveness. Forgiveness is so huge, church. I know I, I tend to talk about it a lot when I preach, but it's because I believe that it is so important for us, especially as believers, it is so important that we understand the principles of forgiveness in our life. First, that we understand God's forgiveness for us, and then that we understand our responsibility of forgiving others. Okay, Jesus made a very specific comment when he was on the cross. You know, the, the Bible only references seven comments that Jesus made while he was on the cross. And one of the comments that he made was where he said, it is finished. It is finished. Now, if you don't know the gospels and you just read that verse, you wouldn't even know what he's talking about when he says it's finished. Does he mean he's just fed up? Does it mean that he's done with whatever he's doing? What does it mean? Well, and if you are a believer and you've read the gospels, you know the, the gospel story, then you know that what he's saying here is that the work that he was sent to do is finished. That work that he was sent to do was to come and live a sinless life and die a sinner's death on a cross, being without sin and dying on this cross to pay the price, to pay the debt for our sins, for your sins and for my sins. And when he died on that cross and at the very end, when he said it is finished, what he was saying was the debt's paid. Forgiveness is totally ready for each and every one of us. It is, we are atoned for. Amen. Amen. What that means is that we as people, our job is to receive the finished work of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. That's our job. Every one of us was made right with God at that moment when Jesus died. Now, whether or not we receive what he did for us is up to us. That's why there's still people that are going to hell because they don't receive the forgiveness that's already there for them. It's a big package wrapped up in a nice pretty bow. All we have to do is receive it. And it's ready for us. It's there for us. The work has been finished. The debt that we owed was so insurmountable, we could have never paid it. Could have never, ever paid it if we had a million years times 100. We could have never paid the debt that we owed. Because, and, and God, knowing that, sent his son to come and pay the debt for us so that we had forgiveness. You know, it, it doesn't take a ceremony for us to get forgiven. Right? You, you don't just get forgiven in church at an altar if a pastor prays for you or if you say the right kind of prayer. You know, we, we get in the habit of like, we talk about the, the sinner's prayer and leading people in prayer to get forgiven. And that's all fine and good. But there's nowhere in the word of God it says that this is how you pray to get saved. It doesn't say that. In fact, let me show you a verse that, that kind of illuminates that. It's in Luke 23. And this is when Jesus was actually on the cross. And this is one of the other things that he said, one of the seven things he said on the cross. He's actually hanging between two thieves. That's why we see three crosses when you see the symbols. And uh, there's, there's criminals on either side of him. And it says in verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So if it requires some kind of specific prayer or anointing oil or, or a certain person to pray for you that's, that's got a prayer leader tag on their lapel, then this, this criminal on the cross is in a lot of trouble. Because Jesus just lied to him. And we all know Jesus doesn't lie, amen? So all he said was, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, that's good enough for me. Today you're gonna be with me in paradise, son. 
And the reason he did that was because he saw the man's heart. It's all about the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, the things we do, the things we say. God looks at the heart. What we say doesn't always line up with what we feel or what we believe. But God knows our heart, and that's what matters to him when it comes to forgiveness. If we will come to him with an open heart and say, God, I don't know how to do this. I don't even know how to get forgiven. I just know that I need it. Jesus says, that's good enough for me. It's good enough for me. He wants us to see our need for him and then go to him. And that's what he expects from us. And so the forgiveness is there for all of us. And I know some of you in this room, in a room this size, I know some of you are struggling with, being, with feeling forgiven by God. Like you just don't feel like God forgive you, can forgive you. Like I've done too much wrong. I keep making the same mistake. This, I, there's a certain sin I just cannot get a handle on. It just keeps coming back in my life. And I know that after a while, God's like, no, nah, I've forgiven you enough for that. You're done. I ain't forgiving you anymore. And we would never say that in public. We would never say that to our Christian friends because we know it's not true, but we still live like it. We believe it. We do believe it. I know some of us do. I, I know there's times I struggle with it. I'm like, Lord, I've asked you forgiveness for this some more times than I can count. When do you finally stay, say, I'm not doing it anymore? Well, frankly, we see when Peter asked Jesus, when he says, hey, Jesus, how often should I forgive my, my, my brother if he sins against me? Seven times? And Jesus says, uh-uh, 70 times seven. And we know from the context of that verse that, that he's basically talking about 70 times seven in a day. So he expects us to forgive others 490 times a day. Well, then how much more will Jesus forgive us for our sins? He would never ask us to do something that he's not willing to do himself. And so the forgiveness is always, always there for us. You, when, when you talk about, oh, I want to get right with God. I want to get in church more. I want to, I want to be more faithful at church. I want to um, uh, get into a small group. I want to serve in my church. I want to read my Bible more. I want to pray more. I need to get right with God. Um, you are right with God the minute you come to him and you say, I receive the work that you did for me. I accept your forgiveness. I'm asking for your forgiveness and I receive it. That makes you right with God. Now, the other stuff is, is, is stuff that we should do. Of course, we should be in church. We should be reading our Bibles. We should be praying. But that's not what makes us right with God. That's not what brings forgiveness into our life. The forgiveness comes because of what Jesus did, not because of what you do. Right. Amen? So we can receive that today. Amen. So the second part of that is that we have to forgive others. And this is, the harder, this is even harder for us. Like some of us struggle with receiving God's forgiveness, more of a struggle with extending forgiveness because there's times that it's just difficult to do because, you know, depending on what somebody did to you. And I, I, there is a lots and lots of hurt in the world today. Lots and hurt, lots of hurt. And, I, and there's a lot of hurt in this room. I, I'm sure of it. Because when you live, if you live your life, you know that hurt comes. I, I always say like, you can have a clean slate today you could leave here today and say, I've forgiven everybody I've ever needed to forgive. I feel good. I feel like a million bucks. And by tomorrow afternoon, there's a new person you need to forgive. You know, if you live, there's always people that are, you need to forgive. If you're married, if you have kids, there's always going to be people to forgive. Amen. My joy has to forgive me three times a day at least. If you have a job and a boss and coworkers, there's, you're going to have to forgive. If you hang out in church, you're going to have to forgive. Amen. There's always, always forgiving to be done. And see, we see that Jesus, one of, the, one of the other things that he said when he was on the cross in Luke twenty two thirty four, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus forgave from the cross. He forgave every one of them. He forgave you and me. That wasn't just for the people that crucified him. That was for all of us. He was saying, Father, forgive them. And you know what? That wasn't just a nice gesture on his part. That wasn't just, oh, that's cool that Jesus said that. 
You know, he wouldn't have had to do that. He could have just hung there and took it and, and died. It's actually, he, he had to forgive from the cross because his sacrifice, for God to accept his sacrifice as enough for all humanity, he had to be sinless. And if he had died and not forgiven the people that crucified him, he would not have been sinless because he would have had sin in his heart. And so he had to forgive every, those people from the cross. He had to forgive everyone that, that nailed him and beat him and did all the things they did to him, spit on him, pulled out his beard, whatever they did to him, he had to forgive. And he sets the example for us as believers that we have to forgive, church. We have to forgive because when we don't forgive others, we make a mockery of what Jesus did for us. We're saying to God, God, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you so much for forgiving me what I've done for what I've done, but I just can't forgive this guy over here. And Jesus is basically saying to you, if you can't forgive him, you're limiting what I can do for you. And Matthew 18 is is burned into my brain for the rest of my life because uh, it has the parable of the unmerciful servant in it. And it is so powerful. And it it speaks to us as Christians and how God sees unforgiveness. Uh, The story basically goes that there was a servant that owed the master a hundred kajillion dollars, okay? And never could even thought about trying to pay it back. And the, ma- the master came to the servant and said, hey, pay me what you owe me. And the servant begged for mercy. He said, I don't have it. Please give me more time. And the master had compassion on him and said, you know what? Forget it. I'll wipe it clean. Cancel the debt completely. This huge debt. Okay. And so the servant was so thankful and so happy. He immediately went and found one of his fellow servants that owed him about 20 bucks and started choking him and said, hey, give me what you owe me. And the other servant says, please give me mercy. Have time, give me time. I need some time to pay this off. The other, mer- the other servant says, not gonna do it. You're going to jail. Throws him in jail, which he had the right to do. And the other servant saw what happened and were so distraught, they went back to the master and said, uh, that servant you just forgave that multi-billion dollar debt, he just threw, had one of our other servants thrown in jail over 20 bucks. And the master went to that first servant and he said, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt and you could not even forgive the debt of one of your fellow servants that was so minuscule compared to what I did for you. And he he actually took him and had him given over to the torturers until he could repay all that was due to him. Now that story is not about money at all. It has nothing to do with money. It's all about forgiveness. And what God is saying is that with the debt that he forgave us of, if we are not willing to forgive others the debts they, do, they have to us, that God hands us over to the torturers. Some of you are being tormented today because you can't forgive. And you're looking at me and you're saying, but you don't know what they did to me. And you're right, I don't. And I would never belittle what has happened to you because I know people have gone through some traumatic things. But there is no right as a Christian to hold, withhold forgiveness from anybody, no matter what they've done. Because no matter what we did, Whatever somebody has done to you, it is not even a fraction of what you did to Jesus by nailing him on a cross. A sinless, perfect human being that came and died for you, took your place. He said, you know what? Don't worry about this. I got this. And he went on a cross in your stead. And for him doing that, he will not allow us to not do the same thing, to forgive others the debts that they owe us. It's so important that we forgive those debts because it hinders us. And the enemy knows that if he can get us to just keep unforgiveness, withhold forgiveness from from people in our lives, that he's got us because we're ineffective because the blessing of God is not on your life because God can't do it because he won't. He's saying, I will not just overlook the fact that you won't forgive somebody for what they did to you. 
In fact, let me tell you a, a quick story. A, a, a while back, I was, I was set to preach here on a Sunday, and I was trying to prepare, and I, I spent some time. I, you know, I didn't wait till Saturday night. I actually started early in the week, and the more I studied, the more I tried to prepare, the further away I got from being able to really have a, a sermon that I felt good about. I just couldn't get anything. And I remember telling Joy on Friday night, I told her, I said, I got nothing. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to get up there and do a dance or something because I have nothing. And the more I try, the further away I get. I just feel like there's a wall that I just can't get through and I don't know what it is. And, uh, you know, I've been praying, asking the Lord to show me what, what he wants me to talk about. Like I thought, man, I'm just going down the wrong road or something. And uh, Saturday morning before that Sunday, I woke up, still laying in bed. I woke up with somebody on my mind just that quick. And the Lord spoke to me as clear as bell and said, you need to forgive this person. And uh, I remember thinking, okay, I, can, I, I guess I can do that. Th- this person had done something to me and it was still kind of fresh and raw and frustrated me. And, and uh, in my mind, they kind of got away with it. And so I was frustrated. And the Lord said, you gotta let it go. And uh, after whining and moaning for about two minutes, I finally let it go. And I said, okay, Lord, I trust you. I release this person I forgive them. They are not in my debt at all. And I let it go completely. And I trust you, Lord. And I, and I really feel like I did in my heart. I let it go. I got up, walked into the shower. And in a five-minute shower, I had my whole sermon. <laughs> I was so, I just couldn't believe how that, it was so, it was like, you know, it's like the nose in your face sometimes. You can't see it. It's right there. And I couldn't even see it because I was so focused on other things. I was focused on ministry. You know, Lord, I can't worry about this right now. I've got to worry about ministry. I've got, got to feed the sheep. You know, they're coming for a message. They need to hear it. And God was saying, mm-mm, you got to deal with your heart first. If you want my blessing, if you want to hear my voice, if you want my anointing on you, you got to deal with you. It doesn't matter what that person did. I'll deal with that person on my own. That's not your problem. And man, as soon as I did it, I mean, literally, I, it was like, well, okay, I'm good. And uh, I, I just, it was, a, it was a reminder of how God looks at unforgiveness in our hearts and the cross for what Jesus went through on the cross he will not and cannot look past it and so church I just want to encourage you today that during this Easter season that it's so important that we remember that we need to forgive everybody and anybody that's wronged us do not allow that root of bitterness to go in and settle into who you are because you are doing nothing but hurting yourself and removing the blessing of God from your life okay so finally the third thing that the cross reminds us of during this season of Easter is it gives us perspective. Now, I could, I could probably go on for weeks and weeks just on perspective alone because I believe the older I get, the more I believe that perspective is, is the, the lion's share of what you deal with in your life is, is about your perspective. In fact, James Dobson said that life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% perspective. And I, I believe that with all my heart. In fact, I believe it's probably about one in 99 it's life is all about perspective. Having perspective in what God's doing in your life will revolutionize your life. It will absolutely revolutionize your life if you can have God's perspective. Uh, I don't know if some of you were here 10, 12 years ago when Tommy Tenney was here and he shared a story that has stuck with me all these years because it, it, just, it just clicked in my brain. Uh, he shared a story about a, a man that got in an elevator with his child and the child was, you know, three or four, about waist high. And the, the, the ride the elevator, and it's, I guess it was a long, big elevator. And the kid was having a blast, you know. You lose your stomach as you're going down or whatever. And, and uh, the elevator stopped at the floor, and more people got on. And, 
and then it went a little further and it stopped again and more people got on. And by the time everybody that was getting on got on, it was packed full of people. And the child went from really enjoying this ride, having a good old time, to being kind of freaked out because there's people all around him. He's kind of crammed in there and he's looking at belt buckles and belly buttons. And he's not liking it, you know, and, and he feels weird. And, and the dad can tell that something's up. And finally the kid looks up at him and says, pick me up, daddy. And so the dad picks him up and gets him up where, with him where he is. And he's at the same eye level as everybody else. And all of a sudden he was fine again and he was enjoying the ride again. And the great thing about that story is that the only thing that changed in his situation was his perspective. That's the only thing that changed. He was still in that same elevator. There was still the same amount of people in the elevator. There was probably some BO in the elevator. There was probably weird elevator music playing that nobody likes. And his situation wasn't any different, but his perspective had changed. And because his perspective changed, all of a sudden he was able to see things in a different light. All of a sudden he was able to enjoy the ride again. And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to have his perspective. And, and, and how this relates to the cross and, and what Jesus did is the fact that even Jesus had to get perspective. And that encourages me because Jesus is God. And if, if God needs perspective, then I feel like it's okay for us to need perspective too. And I want to read it in Mark 14, verses 35 and 36. This is Jesus going into the garden. This is him praying before he was arrested that, that last night. It says, he went a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Let me, let me say that again. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. So it's okay for us to ask what, for what we want, but we always have to be resigned to what God wants. Even Jesus said, okay, God, Father, I don't like what's about to go down here. I would really, really like if this could be taken from me and we could let a, a dog or a goat or an animal, a cow of some sort, go ahead and take this sacrifice for me. But then he finishes up by saying, not my will, but yours be done. He got perspective. And see, we know that he prayed through this and that he was okay because we know that the next day when he was before the Sanhedrin and he's before Caiaphas and he's before Herod, he's before all these people and they're accusing him and they're pulling his beard out and they're doing all kinds of things. He stayed silent because he had prayed through because he got back to, to the heart of God and he got God's perspective and he knew what his job was. And that's why he was able to go through this, this day of crucifixion, keeping his mouth shut and doing it the way it was meant to be done because he prayed through. But even Jesus had to get perspective. And so we as, as believers and followers of him, we need to get perspective as well because you know, the longer I live, the longer I'm saved, the, the, the further I go in my relationship with the Lord and my walk with him, the less and less I pray for him to change my circumstances. I very, very seldom ask him to change my circumstances. I will usually come and I will tell him what my circumstances are because I want to make sure he knows just in case he wasn't paying attention. <laughs> and then after I tell him what they are, then I say, Lord, you know what I need. And so I'm going to trust you. See, the perspective is all about whether or not you're willing to trust him and that his plan is going to work out for your good. Because, you know, Romans 8, 28 says that, he, that uh, he works out all things for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. All things, all is the best word in all the Bible right there, all. 
All things. So you don't have to worry, no matter what the situation is, you don't have to go to God and say, God, are you going to work this one out for my good if I love you? You don't have to say that because we know there's a promise in the word of God that he's going to work it out for your good. And see, when we get saved, I hope you didn't get saved under the pretense that, oh, come to Jesus and get saved. Everything's going to be great because that is a lie. There's no truth in that whatsoever. Nothing, not everything, everything is never great when you get saved. There's no promise that says, if you get saved, the road's going to be straight for you. It's going to be smooth as glass. And there's going to be walls on the sides of it. So anybody that wants to get you to you can't get to you. And it's just going to be a big old party all the time. If you did believe that when you got saved, let me be the first to apologize to you because you were deceived. Because that's not how it goes. Anybody that's been saved for more than 20 minutes knows that the road for a Christian is not necessarily any less bumpy than a road for a non-Christian. The difference is we have somebody we can trust in and we can know that no matter what goes on, he's going to get us where we need to go, right? But it's about perspective. And too often times, church, we act like non-Christians. We act like, oh, shoot, what's going on? I don't, I don't like this. I don't want this. I, I hate my job. I don't want to keep this job. Lord, change my job. Give me a new job. When the Lord might be saying, I don't want to right now. I want you to just trust me through this. And when you get on the other side, you're going to be able to see in a retrospect what I did. But you don't just ask for a new job. You, ask, you can ask for the new job. Jesus asked for the cup to be taken away. But then he said, not my will, yours be done. So you can ask for the new job. You can ask for God to change your financial situation today if you need that. But he might say to you, I'm not going to change it today, but I am going to work through this and work in you. And when you see it at the end, you're going to see what I was doing. And it's going to be for your good. And we need to have perspective. We need to have the perspective and see the, the people, the Jews at the time, when, when Jesus came into town, you know, today's Palm Sunday. We celebrate Palm Sunday because it's when all the, the people put the palm branches down. Jesus came right in Jerusalem on a donkey. And they were all excited and they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to, glory to God in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were so excited for Jesus to come into town and, and they, were, they were worshiping. They were, they were ready to enthrone him, make him king. And uh, next thing you know, a week later, they're the same people that are yelling, crucify him, crucify him, hang him high. You know, uh, they, they asked if they wanted him to, to release Jesus or Barabbas, you know, and, and Barabbas was actually a, a nasty, hardened criminal. And they said, no, give us Barabbas. We want to crucify Jesus. The same people that were yelling Hosanna a week earlier. You know why? Because they had the wrong perspective. See, they thought he was coming into town to be a king and to, to lead a revolt to overthrow the Romans. You know, they've been under the oppression of the Romans for years and they're like, okay, Jesus, this is the guy that's going to come in and do it. Well, Jesus was barely in Jerusalem, walks into the temple, starts flipping over tables, turning over the money changers, yelling at him, saying, saying that my house is going to be a house of prayer and you've made it into a den of thieves. And he's rebuking them. And they didn't like that at all. And then they come to him and say, okay, Jesus, should we pay taxes to Caesar? I, I believe hoping he would say, no, we're not going to pay taxes to him. He's oppressing us. We're going to rise up against him. He says, what's on the coin? And they said, Caesar's picture. He said, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Like, he didn't care about the money. That's, that's fine. Give him what, what's due him, but give God what's, God, what God what's God's. And then he has the audacity to say, if you want to be the greatest, you have to be a servant. That's not the ramblings of a conqueror. That's not the ramblings of a guy that they're going to throw and make him a king. He's saying, they're saying, what? To be great, you have to be a servant. I mean, for us, if you've been saved for a while, that's, you understand what that means because you understand Jesus. But in that time, that was like the, they were thinking, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Why would I want to be a servant? Servant is the lowest person in the caste system. They're at the bottom of the pole. Why would I want to be down there? And he wasn't even, it didn't make sense to them. And so they, what they assumed was, you know what, this ain't the guy. 
And then when they, when they rose up to crucify him, they're like, yeah, just crucify him. Get him out of here. He's a pain in the rear. We don't know anything. We don't know what he's doing. You know, it doesn't make sense. It was because they didn't have any perspective. They had a perspective that they wanted to see. They wanted to see him king. They wanted to be set free from the Romans. It was all selfish. It was all about them and what they wanted. And when he didn't perform in the way they wanted him to perform, they crucified him. And it was because of their lack of perspective. And it's so important for us that we get the perspective of God in our lives. Because see, sometimes God doesn't always give you what you want, but he always, always gives you what you need. He always will give you what you need, church. It's a matter of whether or not you are willing to trust him. Let's not look like the, like the world and people that don't have a faith in Jesus. Let's not worry about things like the, like the people that don't believe in Jesus worry about things. We don't have to worry about those things. We can trust that whatever we're going through, and, and a lot of us are going through a lot of stuff. You may be going through some serious stuff that's, that's not good. I'm not saying that everything you're going through is good now. What I'm saying is that God promises us that he's going to bring the good out of it. And it's going to turn into good for you as you trust him and as you love him and live according to his purpose. Because it's going to bring him glory and it's going to be for your good. And we can trust him in that. Amen? So I'm going to ask you to stand with me as I close. I'm going to ask the the prayer team to come, the worship team. We're going to pray. I wanted to share one quick story about perspective uh, that I read in in a, a book. I don't even remember the book, but I remember the story. And uh, there's, a, there's somebody who went on a subway, and he happened to notice on the, the subway car he was on that uh, there was a man sitting there, and he had his kids with him, like four kids. And the kids were just going crazy, running all over the place, climbing the walls, hanging from the, the, the poles that you hold on to to stabilize yourself, just absolutely going nuts, screaming, carrying on. And the dad was sitting there just staring off into space, oblivious, like not paying any attention to it. And this, this guy that saw this happening is getting madder by the men. He's like, uh, these kids are so disruptive. Have you ever seen it in a restaurant where you kind of want to jerk the kid up yourself and take them out? The parents are just sitting there kind of acting like nothing's going on. And, and, uh, and the guy's getting so annoyed. Finally, he can't take it anymore. Finally, he like goes over to the, the dad. He taps him on the shoulder. He's like, uh, excuse me, sir, your kids are being incredibly unruly and driving everybody in this subway car crazy. Could you please do something? And the dad kind of like comes to, kind of shakes out of a trance. And he goes, yeah, he said, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't even notice it. I, I just came from their mom's funeral. We're on our way home and I'm not sure what I'm going to do. And as you can imagine, the guy that confronted him, his heart was instantly changed. He went from being angry that these kids were being unruly to, to having a broken heart over the fact that this guy just had to bury his wife and the mother of his children. It was all about perspective. It's all about perspective, church. So many of the things we think we know or that we think we, we see or we think things should be the way we think they should be, so many times we get it wrong. It's just because we're coming from our point of view. I don't know about you, but if you've ever had like, like road rage where you got really mad at somebody on the, behind the wheel and then when you finally got up beside him and could see him and you realized it was somebody you knew and all of a sudden you weren't mad anymore, It's like, oh, I know him. That's no big deal. Sure, cut me off again. I'm good with it. It's all about perspective. Nothing changed. The only thing that changed was your point of view on the situation, right? Because since you know that person, you assume, oh, they didn't do it on purpose because they they wouldn't do that. You know, that's Cody. He's a good man. He wouldn't cut me off on purpose, right? 
It's all about perspective. So what I'd like to do, I'd like you to come forward this morning. If, if you'd like to, if you'd like to get prayed for this morning, for, for any of the three things that I mentioned this morning, I'd like you to come to the center here and I want to pray for you specifically. If you need specific prayer and you want to come to a prayer leader, please feel free to do that. But for those of you that, that if, if any point in this uh, kind of tugged at your heart a little bit, made you feel like, hmm, that's kind of me. I'd like to pray for you. I believe that there is an anointing here today. Okay, if you need prayer for, for just passion, if you've lost your passion for Jesus, you know, there, there's no shame in that. We all go through that. We all go through that. We have to continually be stirring ourselves up and saying, that's right. <laughs> that's right, he did die for me on a cross. He did go through all that for me. And you just wanna have more passion for him. You, wanna, you want that story to be building in you to where you're, you're sharing it with people and sharing the love of Jesus with people. I'd like to pray for you. If you need forgiveness, if you need to receive God's forgiveness and just need a revelation of that, or you just need to extend forgiveness, maybe you need to let something go and you wanna be able to, to stand today and say, with God's help, I'm gonna let this go. I'm gonna choose to forgive, even though this person doesn't necessarily deserve it. I want you to come too. You can start coming now. And then finally, just perspective. If you need some perspective in life, God knows we all need it at times. We all need some perspective to have God's perspective in our life that I won't look at the situation I'm in with my own eyes and, and make judgments based on what I see. I'm gonna look at it and ask God to give me his perspective in what I'm going through so that I can have an ability, a supernatural ability to trust him and to walk with him and to know that he's going to work this out for my good. Then I'd like to pray for you too. So come, come on up. We're going to pray, and the band's going to just play behind me here as we pray and just trust God. You know, as we get ready to go into this, this Easter Sunday next week, let's prepare our hearts to be able to celebrate next week the empty tomb, to be able to celebrate and come from a place of celebrating and saying, yes, yes, that is for me. That is my risen Savior, and I know that I am, that him and I, that we are good, that we're good because I trust him. And because I've given my heart to him and I've, I have given him the, or I've trusted him to have perspective. I've trusted him to, to forgive me and I'm forgiving others and I'm, I'm growing in my passion for him. Let's not let anything hold us back from being able to celebrate with all of our hearts next week. Amen. Amen.